Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So before we get into this one, very quick content warning where you're going to have some brief discussion of rape culture and mental health. Nothing too in-depth, but just to put that out there. And today we are talking about laughter and the history of women laughing, the judgment around women laughing, the feminist reclaiming of women laughing. And we're also going to briefly touch on why we laugh and what it could signal. With all of that, Samantha, how do you feel about your laugh? Oh, I hate it. Yeah? Yeah. My laugh gets, it's really loud. So (laughs) it's not super loud that you can pick it out. But if it's a dead silent moment, mm-hmm. I don't just giggle. I mm-hmm. do a Yelp first. Yeah. And then it goes into whatever the rest of the thing is. If I'm having one of those moments where I'm having an uncontrollable laughter, I definitely snort. Mm-hmm. And I wheeze because I can't, I can't breathe. Mm-hmm. That's the level I am. So I hate hearing myself laugh. And I've tried one time to really cultivate it to being like a girly cute laugh, right? couldn't do it. Did, just, just didn't happen. <laughs> and I was like, well, I am who I am. So that there it is. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. I also, I will say I have mixed feelings about my laugh because I feel like I don't have a very feminine laugh either. But then that now that I'm older and I think about that, I'm like, well, Okay, what does that say? And we are going to talk about that in a minute. However, I will say a lot of people at our office are very complimentary of my laugh. And it's very sweet of them. And it's, it may, I'm still very self-conscious of it because I guess either way, when you draw attention to something, it makes it put you in your head about it. And this is one of those episodes that as we talk about it, I'm very self-conscious about it. As you laugh. Yes, I know, I know. And (laughs) that's one of the things we're going to talk about is like all these different reasons that we do laugh. And I'm somebody that I laugh a lot. I laugh a lot. Um, And I think for anyone listening, that is no surprise. Some of my nicknames are Giggles, Gigs, and Brightside because I laugh so much. Wait, who calls you these names? Because I've never heard this. I mean, I can I see have it, other but friends. I've never heard anyone <laughs> say this to you, so just curious. I have other friends, Samantha. Do you? But yes. do you? I feel I like I've met them all. <laughs> no, you haven't. No, you haven't. <laughs> um, and Samantha, you know my Dungeons and Dragons character's name. One of them. Her name yes. is her name is Giggs von Tank. Yes. And you were very suspicious of this name. But I that was. Is... <laughs> when that person tried to call me on Skype, I was like, nope, I will not take your dick pics. <laughs> it was just me. <laughs> it was just me. Uh, but yeah, I laugh easily for all sorts of reasons. My mom used to joke my giggle box would get turned over because I would just laugh and laugh and laugh and I couldn't stop laughing. And this is also one of the things I get critiqued on the most as a host, Um, and especially when I was a new host. I'd get messages like, no one can take you seriously. You sound like a little girl at a slumber party who snuck into her dad's liquor cabinet. I remember that one very well. That is really specific. Like, why did you need to go all of those words? That was unnecessary. 
right? Yes, I think it was. Yeah, a lot of really condescending sexist language like that, especially like being a little girl or something. Right. Yeah, and nowadays I get those messages far less because I feel like those people have left, those mostly dudes, to be honest, have left. But I still get really insecure about it. Anytime you do, again, anytime you do an episode like this, uh, filler language is another one where you could become more and more aware of it. And it gets more and more, like, you get more and more judgmental about it, about how much right. you do something. And I do want to emphasize, every time we do episodes like this, it's not some weird passive-aggressive message to you, the lovely listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you are genuinely lovely. Um, right. And I honestly do get, if people laugh too much and that annoys you, though as always, you can just disengage. You don't have to listen to something you don't want right. to. Right. Do I have to comment on it? Um, but uh, it does turn out there is a long history of censoring and judging women's laughter. Right. Actually, really fascinating. I'm very excited to talk about it. I will say the same is true with tears when it comes to women. I was thinking about this and just any kind of emotion women right. show, there's a lot of judgment around it. If you're having too much fun, then you're annoying. Uh, if yes. you're too sad about it, then you are, you just can't handle it. You're too sensitive. Exactly. Exactly. Both of them are dismissed as you're being essentially a little girl. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but speaking of, I just told you this story. You did. I, I once was scolded at Universal theme parks in Orlando for laughing too much by a fellow dressed as an elf. I was at an amusement park. <laughs> <laughs> I've never forgotten it. It's really funny now, but he definitely dressed me down in front of a whole crowd of people. Right. It was a whole crew of you, right? Just having a good old yes. time. He just like went off to after all of y'all. Yeah, he did for laughing too much. And I, it's not like we were being drunk fools or anything. We just were laughing and having fun. Too much fun. How dare you at an amusement park? Too much amusement, too much. (laughs) So I did want to briefly touch on why we laugh, which as we discussed in the Why We Dream episode, it's still kind of, we're not totally sure. But as early as three months old, babies do start laughing. There are a couple of reasons that women and all of us laugh, although there are some that are unique to women, which we're going to touch on. To communicate camaraderie, connection, cooperation, joy, humor, sadness, in response to an awkward or painful moment. People are 30 times more likely to laugh in a group, which demonstrates the social nature of it, which scientists think it's a it's a big social thing of like communicating right. something about how you feel or how you vibe within the group. I feel like it's very contagious too. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we talked about that a little bit when we were talking about slumber parties. And I was yeah. saying that that game I would play, Tummy Ha Ha, the whole point was once somebody actually started laughing, you would all start laughing. Yes. I think that's a a big part of like TikTok. Again, I'm talking about TikTok, but a lot of Mm -hmm. the videos that I've seen has been something like contagious laughter or something along those lines. And I will say little baby giggles that are truly enjoying life get me going sometimes, uh, for sure. But Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to at least smile if somebody's really, truly expressing joy or happiness. Let me have this joy. (laughs) 
just say. So laughter is believed to have potential health benefits. And I think we've all kind of heard this, mm-hmm. including as a stress reliever, which is one reason for things like laugh yoga. And I was thinking about this too, because I was like, my neighbor does crying yoga, but I've never mm-hmm. heard her do the laughing yoga. Should ask oh, her about that. Yeah. So research suggests that people who laugh more have a lower risk of cardiovascular illness. It's interesting. Yeah, and I think that goes in line with a lot of things we've talked about where stress does cause health issues. So if laughter is believed to reduce stress, then it makes sense it would have at least somewhat of an impact, maybe not a huge impact on these other things. Recent studies have found that across cultures and continents, people can pick up on fake laughter. Um, These studies also found that fake laughter can be useful in terms of continuing or facilitating conversation. So it's not necessarily always a bad thing. Surveys have also found that women prefer telling jokes to smaller groups of people, and even more so small groups of women, as compared to men who prefer bigger crowds to tell their jokes. Mm -hmm. And many speculate this might be at least part of the reason the women have no sense of humor thing got started is because men don't see women joke as often because they prefer to tell jokes in smaller groups and more likely to women, which I thought was interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yes. Um, And then we did want to talk about the use of laughter in flirting and also its role in rape culture. So plenty of recent studies caught the public's attention claiming that, yes, humor is what women really want in men. I love funny man. And yes, this is heteronormative. (laughs) Certainly in researching this, most of the top results were things like, what does it mean when a woman laughs? How to tell if a woman is fake laughing? And one of the reasons this is believed to be the case is that it indicates you will have fun with this person. I will say, and I think we're about to get into it, uh, I had a very long sexist conversation, meaning like he was being sexist and I almost punched him in the face uh, Uh conversation with a dude about how he knows that a girl likes him because she will laugh at his jokes and appreciate what he he says. And to the point that I'm like, he made it seem that women only laugh because of these reasons and all women fake it. And I had to look at them and be like, no, that's not... Well, that's... I think I made the conversation, well, that says more about you and how you're not funny and you know this. Right. And so that is your radar. And maybe you should work on your jokes and your personality. Right. Yeah. And we got into it. Yeah. I, I can see that. Uh, but it reminds me of when we were talking about the whole women can't have an orgasm thing where it's like, right. I think this might say more about you. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> but that is that is a very, we hear that a lot, right? Is, you know, women are going to laugh harder. Uh, at jokes that aren't funny from men to show interest, which makes sense. But if what you're saying is, I don't have to be funny, it doesn't matter, that might be a slightly different thing. (laughs) Also, it may come to the point, and I have done this, and I'm sure when we talk about it, more women would say, I have fake laughed in hopes to avoid a confrontation from you. And so I'm just going to pretend like I'm amused by you and move on and really try to get away. But I'm going to be like, that's so funny, I got to do a thing over there. Yeah, yeah. I think I've told this story before, but one time I I was in college and somebody, I was at a bar and somebody grabbed my ass and I turned and laughed. And I like backed away, but I was laughing. And I like, I look back on it now and I'm so ashamed, but I'm also like, what else was I going to do? Right. I was surprised for one thing. This is a defense mechanism of being like, okay, 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's like, not okay, make this oh a big deal, but oh God. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But the, I think it was within the past few years that study came out that said, you know, women, I think it might've been specific to the UK, but it was very, uh, it caught a lot of headlines everywhere where it was like, women, funniness is the most important trait or the most attractive trait or whatever. And they do think that's because it's a signal that you can have fun with someone, you can have, laugh with someone. Um, as always with those studies though, it's, you know, social things like that are hard to quantify for sure. Right. I like laughing with a person for sure. That's also true. <laughs> After this, yes, many of flirting articles advise women how and when to laugh to attract men. And yes, this how to laugh. I was thinking about this. If you look at words used to describe men's laughter, you'll see a lot of words like boisterous or loud or like, you know, from the gut or from the stomach. While for women, it's a lot of times words like tittering, bell-like, giggling, a lot smaller and like, quote, dainty sounds. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier where I've got a bunch of different laughs, but I'm generally a pretty loud laugher as well. And for a while, I did feel like I needed to contain it and quiet it down and control it more and be more, quote, ladylike with my laughter, which is interesting. But okay, conversely, the male fear of being rejected and even laughed at by women is something that comes up a lot in conversations around rape culture. And this is not a new thing. Emma B. Phelps testified in an 1893 New Haven divorce case, quote, she laughed at her husband and he knocked her senseless. In 1897, a man allegedly blew himself up with dynamite after a woman refused his proposal of marriage, laughing at him. The Baltimore Sun wrote, the man, quote, had a dynamite bomb with him and threatened that if the woman refused him, he would blow himself to pieces. She laughed at him and he went to the stone yard a block distant and killed himself. In 1903, Alice Hinegar was murdered, quote, with a monkey wrench because she laughed at a man when he pressed her to marry him. I think that has more to say about men and fragile egos more so than the laughter. But yeah, I've, yes. I've definitely seen where, for women, you're correct, it's either seen as being really condescendingly like giggling like a little girl or mm-hmm. being seen as a witch yeah. and heckling and or, you know, trying to uh, bully mm-hmm. someone and or demoralize someone. It's one or the other, it seems. It seems. So yes. in 1905, Virginia Woolf wrote about women's laughter, quote, like lightning, it shrivels them up and leaves the bones bare. And of course, Margaret Atwood's famous quote, men are afraid that women will laugh at them and women are afraid men will kill them. Which again, yes. Uh, Nancy Dowd's survey, the man in question found that women report their greatest fear is rape and murder while men's greatest fear is being laughed at. And I've heard this a lot, actually. And then in 1922, Helen Rowland wrote, a man will forgive his wife for committing robbery or murder or breaking the Ten Commandments, yet threaten to leave her for laughing at the wrong moment. Uh, Yeah, and it is. You can see, like, I think I've seen many a scene, just recently even, where if a woman laughs in its defense, then they are like, first of all, what are you laughing at? And then somehow abused. Yes. Yes. Um, And we're going to get into this more in a minute, but it's very different uh, how we judge women and men historically based on laughing at the wrong moment. 
And I, you know, we just had Halloween and I just watched Practical Magic. And that's why Jimmy hit Jilly in Practical Magic because she laughed at him about a donut. It's like, oh, the research and true life are coming together. There (laughs) it is. I will say, now I'm thinking about it. I knew the one way that I could win an argument with my brother was to laugh at him. Really? Mm-hmm. And it would anger him to no end. And I would just walk yeah. away. We're ready for him to bounce on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we got into real fights. Like, it wasn't... It was right. at each other. But, like, that's... I remember that as thinking, like, this is what's going to bother him. Here we go. Yeah. It has been. And it's, it's very effective as a tool of defiance. And we're going to get into that more, too. Um, but I've definitely had that thought as well. If I get in a big argument and I'm like, you know, really burn this person up if I start laughing at what they're saying. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of the, as we've discussed before, using comedy as this sort of political satire and weapon in that manner. And that's one of the things, which is a good segue into what we're talking about next, which is trauma and laughing in the face of like something that's painful or dark. For me, it is easier to handle, especially news, if it's presented in a kind of a satirical or funny way, just because it so often is pretty grim, (laughs) pretty grim. But yeah, as we discussed in our trauma miniseries, laughter is sometimes utilized as a coping mechanism in the face of trauma and grief. I know it's definitely a coping mechanism for me. There wasn't as much information as I thought there would be out there on this, but I did find Some articles that said um, laughter promotes resilience in the face of stress and illness. It is something that, you know, historically people have used to almost defiantly to reclaim joy in the face of all these horrible circumstances. And I mean, when I think about it, as someone who does laugh a lot, like one, that's sort of my, that's how I am. And two, it is a way of being like, okay, I I can still find something to laugh at or it can still be in what for me is normal. And for me, laughing is pretty normal. But it's also like I I just, like I've said a lot, I feel a lot of pressure and I've been socialized a lot to make people happy and to kind of be that person that cheers people up. And that's hard to let go, even in the face of... Right. Or maybe, maybe even especially in the face of when you're trying to hold on to something right. of, of like hard things, of grief and trauma, and you're just trying to find like something from your quote, like I like to call it the before and after of my before of what, who I felt like I was then and and then and all this stuff with trauma and you feel like, oh, uh, all your foundation is shaken. And I would just try to grab onto these just like pieces and deal with it that way. And we've talked about this previously and not that this is an actual scientific statement, but I know this is a very, to me, as a person on the outside, seemingly middle child syndrome, to keep the mm-hmm. peace, to keep the happiness. And you mm-hmm. are a middle child. So like that, none of that is too surprising, A. But I think like another part of that, when you're talking about your own trauma and, and the fact that you laugh, that's your response. Um, and I do too. I do too. I actually make sarcastic jokes, which we're going to get into in just a second. But the fact that many people respond when they specifically are talking about their own trauma, which is what we were talking about when this episode, we were like, let's do this episode, because I was very angry because we did get a critique on one of our reviews 
because I keep making the stupid mistake of looking at the reviews. Most of them are so kind <laughs> and so beautiful. And thank you so much. But the few yes. that come in said negative. I'm like, why do you even take the time? Like, just go ahead and put the one star and move on. I don't care. None of the things that you're critiquing us for, we can change. I can't change mm-hmm. this about myself. Sorry. <laughs> and Annie can't change this about herself. Sorry. But mm-hmm. one of those was about like, y'all are laughing during serious stuff. Y'all need to get, get over this. This is so childish type of thing. And we... A, we've already told you at the very beginning, this is how we respond. We probably said it in that episode, whatever episode you're responding to, because we talk about a lot of traumatic things. Let's be real. B, you're also not laughing at other people's trauma. You're literally talking about your own experiences and your response is to giggle, to try to handle it and to try to maintain. And again, I think one of the things that infuriate me in any of those comments or any of these levels is this is what helped us survive. Why would you come in here and try to uh, take that away when obviously that is a strength for us? You may not see it for that way. You may not see it for yourself and you may be able to handle it on a whole different level. I don't know. But if it's not hurting you, it's not hurting us and it's something that can keep us on a steady way without completely going overboard in whatever route uh, and that could be unhealthy. Why is it Mm -hmm. bothering you? Why is it bothering you? And I think that just angers me too so much that we have to criticize other people's handling of trauma when it's not unhealthy. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we we did talk about that a lot, especially when we talked about grief as well and how people feel... Like grief should look a certain way, and if it doesn't look that that way, then you're not you're not grieving enough, or you're grieving too much, or you're grieving the wrong way. And I think, you know, as with a, a, pretty much everything we talk about, it's hard to unpack and untangle all of the social factors that go into why you do a certain thing. I think that for I imagine a lot of women who use laughter as a coping mechanism, but for anybody, but for women. There's also like, I'm sure, I know you've experienced this as well. When you do open up and you share something that's really dark and really painful with somebody, it's clear they're really uncomfortable. And then you say something funny or something to lighten the mood because it's just silent. And it's it's obvious the other person doesn't know what to say. And I don't fault them for that. Like sometimes there's nothing to say. Right. But you do... I'm somebody who also struggles with silence a lot of times. <laughs> so if it like goes silent, somebody's miserable, or like, oh, wow, they didn't... Okay, well, <laughs> let's laugh then. Let's make this better. It's like when you're... I mean, in a much lighter way, it's like when you're on an awkward date and you're like, right. oh, wow, this is awkward. Let's laugh about it because... Right. It's really awkward. (laughs) Right. I mean, that is exactly... So when we talk about social work, I would talk about the fact, hey, you don't want to hang out with a lot of social workers if if you're really sensitive and don't have a dark sense of humor because we are twisted. Like, immediately, Mm -hmm. this is the way we cope and we have to joke about things that are really inappropriate and really, like... Yes, we outside of that realm, we're like, this is really bad. We shouldn't do this. But if we didn't, I think we would constantly be on a like a wave of crashing and almost wanting to like, you know, just go to sleep forever because it is so dark and it gets so dark and because it weighs on you so heavily, like there's nothing to do but to make an obvious statement, maybe inappropriate to those who hopefully would understand and just trying to move on because it is so dark and so twisted that you can't, if you can't laugh about it for just a minute, 
then there's a hole. Even though in your mind, you're like, we have to do all of these things, but yeah. I need a minute. I need a break from the yeah. depth and the darkness of this really, really dark, really, really heavy situation to being able to be like, well, at least some, so-and-so didn't do this part too. Like that's the caveat to it. And even though on the outside, they're like, holy crap, what? Why would you do mm-hmm. that? It's kind of like, well, because this is how we survive. And again, when we're on in our own trauma, whether it's to fill the silence, whether it's to make other people comfortable because that's, you don't know what else to do. It's kind of the same thing as like people get really uncomfortable with race stuff. And instead of accepting the fact, oh, you're racist in my, as mm-hmm. it was, like you don't know how to ha- act around brown people. So this is what you're doing. I would make jokes about myself in a manner mm-hmm. of like, I really shouldn't have had to do that. But I'm, it's yeah. awkward and I don't know what else to do but to make you laugh and make right. myself laugh and hope this makes it better. Although it just mm-hmm. fits into your racism and prejudice and stereotypical ideas of me. So, yeah. awesome. Yeah, and I mean, that's a good point to make kind of going back to what you were saying a little bit earlier is, you know, we're laughing at our own trauma or to perhaps make other people more comfortable with our own trauma but that's different than like making jokes you have no right to be making. Right. <laughs> um, right. Very, very, very different. <laughs> or laughing like I did read, and this is complicated and I don't want to go into it now, but I will mention it. I did read a couple of articles about basically people grieving, but on opposite ends of something, like perhaps somebody, their son had killed somebody else's child in a drunk driving accident and the mother of the child that died laughing at the funeral or something like that's a bit different than what we're discussing. Right. I, I suppose, like, I understand it, but that's that's not the same as what we're discussing right, right now. Again, again, that's what we were talking about to say. When it comes to us processing our own trauma, mm-hmm. and it, if it's not to the point that it is hurting someone else. So when I say processing on trauma, those who delve into alcohol or go into some type of addictive personality trait mm-hmm. and or habit, that's a whole different conversation. I'm right. not saying oh, encourage yeah. that. Uh, but when we're talking about laughing to process our own trauma, that's a whole, again, how is this hurting you? Why are you needing to speak on it? And also, why are you judging our own trauma? Like that's a double mm-hmm. whammy on that in itself. Yeah. And I do think it's interesting and something we've talked about before, but when you're in a public sphere, some of those things get amplified because you're supposed to be, even if you're doing serious topics, you are supposed to be entertaining in some way right. um, while also getting across education, educational content. And when you're talking about something serious, that can be really tricky. And especially if you do have your own trauma in your way, you react to your own trauma on top of that. Um, and that's not to say, there's been plenty of episodes where I feel like there was hardly any laughter involved. But Right. You know, when when there's also that level of it, of you're like, oh, this is too sad. No one's going to listen to it because all it is <laughs> is sad. I've got to do something. <laughs> it's usually my episodes. I'm like, so I want to talk, talk about this really bad thing. Let's go. And I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Everybody starts like sitting in the corner in the dark. Yeah. And I think that's a a balance that is, it's really difficult to pull off. But I do, like going back to what I said, where it's easier for me to handle darker topics if there is some humor in there. Right. And I, I don't think that's wrong or bad. Right. Um, I think there's a way to do it and a way not to do it. But I think it makes sense that you need almost like 
a palate cleanser or something to get stop your heart from like just getting so, so sad and heavy that you yeah. don't want to take in any more information. Right. Yeah. Which was all a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, see, there it is. We have so many examples of it just here <laughs> in this episode. I will say one of my triggers actually is loud male laughing. Mm. That's something I've had to to work with, but like really loud. Yeah. That can get me. Mm-hmm. Interesting. There's a lot of triggers like that. So again, dark humor has been shown to improve mental health amongst those who participate in stressful jobs like nursing and social work. And I tell you, we lived off of uh, dark jokes to the point that I couldn't be around normal people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because I realized... I cannot be socializing with people who do not understand what this is because when I make a comment about a case that I'm going through and they gave me the blank stare of horrified looks and I'm like, oh, y'all don't know anything about... Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. I'm just... I'm going to sit in the corner because yes, it takes... It's Especially when you have a job that you really delve into and it impacts other people. So social services, nursing, teaching, it's really hard not to see some type of, or at least having to cause inside jokes, I guess, having to have inside jokes or such, which, again, not always appropriate. And I'm not, and if it's racial, any of that, that's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about Mm -hmm. human drama, human trauma, human Mm -hmm. darkness. That's what we're Mm -hmm. talking about. Uh, It definitely, yeah, it definitely helps you just to be able to wake up the next day. That's where it gets down to. And there's a camaraderie to that. Yeah. That you have to have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I know with my nursing friends, I've heard a lot about that of being, during this pandemic, of being a stress reliever. But they've noticed like their humor has gotten significantly darker Yeah, during all of this. Yeah. I think we had, a, I had a moment when I was working in uh, CPS, investigating child abuse. I... I had several nursing friends and we would just share war stories to mm-hmm. talk about what was worse to to make ourselves feel better that their their job was worse than our job. Mm-hmm. It was not pretty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Speaking of, uh we did briefly want to touch on the film Joker with Joaquin Phoenix just cuz we were talking about the different perceptions people have of men and women laughing when it comes to things like trauma. And that, you know, that movie, uh, and we're going to get circle back to this, but, you know, there's like an ableism narrative there because if you haven't seen it, it's sort of a disorder he has, right? That he's, he laughs. So yeah, it's called pseudobulbar effect or PBA. And that's Mm -hmm. what he was uh, dealing with. Yeah, and I mean, laughter is frequently a tool uh, writers do use in things, uh, things like that to uh, indicate like uh, like villainous behavior. Right. And then this one's got like also the ableism there. Right. This is actually something he's dealing with. But just the way people reacted to that in that movie versus like us, you know, talking about our own trauma. Just interesting from what I remember from the movie, stress caused him to laugh. And so people didn't understand what was happening. Because I know like stress, like for me, we talked about stress causes me to be really sleepy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's similar to that effect. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't want to be compared to the Joker necessarily. (laughs) 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 But (laughs) um, just... Yeah, I mean, we, it's, I guess we know that laughter is a response to stress and trauma. It does make people uncomfortable sometimes, I think, but it seems that the reaction you get when it's women is much more like dismissive, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, either dismissive if it's trauma or like angry if it's related to dating. Yeah, yeah just to, you know, I feel like we understand that this is a thing, uh, but we're judging people for it and we're judging differently based on gender Mm -hmm. which is interesting Mm -hmm. so we did want to go into a history of women laughing Because as we mentioned in the intro, there's been a long history of judging women's laughter and sometimes even criminalizing it. In ancient Greece, Aristotle warned against the pitfalls of laughter, writing, quote, most people enjoy amusement and jesting more than they should. A jest is a kind of mockery and lawgivers forbid some kinds of mockery. Perhaps they ought to have forbidden some kinds of jesting. God seems to be on the same page in the Old Testament, laughing at God, was not at all tolerated. And even when God laughs, it's an act of hostility and fury, not a good thing at all. Um, There's one instance where a group of boys laugh at a prophet, so God sicks two she-bears on them and kills like almost all of them, I believe. (laughs) Right. They were making fun of the prophet, though. That's a little different. And then throwing things and taunting him and trying to hurt him. So that's a little bit different than just laughing at... (laughs) Just saying. So during the Middle Ages, uh, women's laughter was viewed as unruly, coarse, and something associated with the body and not at all ladylike. As in fact, the whole tee-hee-hee covering of the mouth is what yeah. you would often see represented. Um, mm-hmm. Women were advised not to laugh, that it was uncouth. Despite that, female characters and literature ranging from the 13th to the 16th century often engaged in laughter. In Lisa Perfetti's work, Women and Laughter in Medieval Comic Literature, she argues that laughter was a way to talk back to the views around women at the time. That jokes and humor around women, which made women laugh, also illustrated to the limited movement agency women had at the time. Often, female characters were written by men as targets to be made fun of, mocked and kept in their place. In this way, women who made jokes and laughed could be viewed as somewhat subversive. And I will say, like, think about Les Mis. The the whole thing is a pretty big tragedy. But the two funny characters was the woman who was essentially seen as a hag and then her husband, who they were both crooks, essentially, Mm -hmm. were the Mm -hmm. funny bit to the entire movie. Everybody else was like, you know, drama. (laughs) Drama. Yes. But those yes. are the characters I've seen being funny or made fun of. Right. English philosopher Thomas Hobbes viewed laughing as a political tool and weapon. He wrote, quote, Men laugh at the infirmities of others, for when a jest is broken upon ourselves, of friends and whose dishonor we participate, we never laugh thereat. 
In puritanical New England, a woman laughing could be downright dangerous, sometimes believed to be a sign of her covenant with the devil, and particularly during times of prayer or fasting. One such woman was Suzanne Martin. Records indicate that she was executed not only for breastfeeding Satan with her, quote, witch's tits, but also for laughing at, quote, such folly during her trial. So I believe they told her this was her charge and she laughed. And so they're like, ah, <laughs> which reminds me of The Bitch, which we did right. a feminist movie Friday on. But the way that movie ends is she sort of accepted being a witch and being in Satan's covenant, I guess. And she's laughing. Right. Yeah. I know, like, in several of the movies I've seen, I can't remember, like, laughing equates to orgasm as well. Yeah, yeah. Which is also a no-no. Oh, yeah. As well. (laughs) So having a fit and hysteria and all Mm -hmm. that is somewhat related to laughter as well, Mm -hmm. those terms in itself. So that's interesting. Two women in Chicago were arrested in 1899 for laughing. uh, And in the words of a local newspaper, it says... The trouble was caused by a new joke on the kissing bug. I love it. What's the kissing bug? I know. Uh, With the arresting (laughs) officer claiming. And then they both laughed so loud they awoke the entire neighborhood. However, the presiding justice was not impressed or concerned. Well, I guess it certainly is a joke to arrest a person for laughing. And both women were discharged uh, after that. But wow. (laughs) Wow. Kissing I want to know this joke about the kissing bug. <laughs> I need to know about this kissing bug. I know. Etiquette manuals around the 19th and early 20th centuries instructed women to limit their laughter, that people would look down on them for it, and that it was even potentially dangerous, a sign of female hysterics. A 1902 obituary ran with the headline, Death from Laughter. And it described a woman who visited the theater to, quote, enjoy a comedy and instead furnished a tragedy after she became convulsed with merriment. Merriment? Even better. Yes. After a romantic suitor told a woman a joke in 1907 about dentistry, she couldn't stop laughing until she was given some anesthetics. When she came to, she said she couldn't remember the joke. And out of caution, no one told it to her. However, several articles claimed it went as follows. A man went to the dentist to have a tooth pulled and it hurt. Oh, doctor, the patient said. If only humans were born without teeth. The doctor replied, they are, you know. Classic. (laughs) Classic. (laughs) Here's another example from 1908. A widow named Anna Ferrer attended a dinner party where someone shared a funny joke with her. She started laughing so hard she was, quote, unable to stop the laughing paroxysm and, quote, died before a physician could be summoned. The joke wasn't printed for safety. Can you imagine being the person who told that joke? For safety. Literally killed. Well, they didn't want anybody else to read it and have the same reaction. (laughs) Which reminds me of the Monty Python skit, the joke that kills, the killer joke. I don't know if I ever saw that skit. Oh, it was like a World War II skit where the British army... Just like after months and months of practicing and assembling a joke in many pieces so people wouldn't read it because it's dangerous in German, they constructed the perfect killer joke and they would go around, uh, soldiers would go around shouting it at German officers because they didn't understand it so it wouldn't kill them. And the German officers would laugh and then drop dead. But then at the end, of course, they're like, well, I want to hear this. What's so good about it? And they say it in English and then they all 
die as well. They all die. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so that kind of reminds me of the uh, Mary Poppins scene where they're all laughing and they start floating because they can't stop oh, laughing. Oh, right. And they're talking about someone floats away and they all tell jokes to each other. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in so long, it's but I do long remember time. that. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the whole scene. So a lot of these advice columns and cautionary tales were coming out as more and more women were entering the public sphere and attending more public forms of entertainment more regularly. So just so you know, ladies, laughing can kill you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you better not do it. Better not. Now, of note, there are cases of men laughing at women, typically white women, in areas where their patronage was valuable and men laughing at them made them feel unsafe and being arrested or ejected from public venues. So that did happen as well. Interestingly, women may have participated in highly derided sobbing clubs at the time. And men's laughter was often seen as something that was just or good in the face of their sniveling, as it was called. Um, and particularly laughing at entertainment geared towards women, which was incidentally where men were most likely to be punished for it. Again, because people didn't want to lose the people who, the patrons who were paying to see these right. things. And in Puritanical America, laughing at a tragedy was viewed as something akin to a sin. That was real bad. A mind frame that carried over into more modern times kind of relates to some of the stuff we've been talking about. During the late 19th century, there was a spate of articles claiming that across the country, men were laughing blasphemously during church services, and some of them did get arrested. You know, I'm thinking more and more about laughter being used like it's a sin. Like when you see demonic possessions, they're often laughing. And Mm -hmm. then uh, I know that there are several diagnoses where they talk about inappropriate laughing because it doesn't Mm -hmm. fit the... uh, the emotions, so therefore maybe they are A, B, C, and C, some kind of sociopathic uh, diagnosis, which I'm starting to think about that. Uh, keep going. Yeah. yeah. So where we are now, in our more modern times, women's laughter is the subject of penalization and also of feminist thought. Mm-hmm. So just in 2017, a code pink protester named Desiree Farouz sorry if I've mispronounced that, was arrested after laughing during the confirmation hearing for Jeff Sessions to become attorney general after a Republican senator said that Sessions had, quote, an extensive record of treating all Americans fairly under the law. Not going to lie, I would laugh too. She (laughs) potentially faced a $2,000 fine and up to a year in jail, but the judge ultimately ruled that laughing was not adequate grounds for guilt in that, quote, it was disconcerting that the government made the case in closing arguments that the laughter in and of itself was sufficient. Yes. It is disconcerting. Uh, mm-hmm. The government motion filed against her claimed that she was arrested because she sought to impede and disrupt then-Senator Sessions' confirmation hearing by drawing attention away from the hearing itself and directing it instead toward the defendant's perception of the nominee's racist views, policies, and voting record. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not laughing because of the way he said it, but I'm like, but it did. And all she did was laugh. So for you to take that as... That, I think, again, says more about you, whoever filed these charges, than it does about her. Mm -hmm. 
Professor of Law at the University of Michigan, Catherine A. McKinnon, wrote of this incident, criminally charging and potentially sentencing Mrs. Farouz for a brief spontaneous injection of political laughter as disruptive when it, at least, so clearly was not looks like an overly thin-skinned reflex reaction to a woman appropriating what is usually a masculine form of power, ridicule, public humiliation by humor, and in this case, political speech against racism. Of note... The Trump administration was a repeated offender and punisher of women mocking Trump. Um, Take their reaction to Melissa McCarthy impersonating Sean Spicer. They just flipped out. So angry. They they were were also angry of all of SNL. It made me laugh. Oh, but that's also true. (laughs) Yes. This is somewhat reminiscent of a scene from the 1982 film, A Question of Silence, when three women laugh loudly and brashly at their own murder trial, mostly at the premise presented that they lived in a post-sexist society. They were on trial after exuberantly murdering a shopkeeper who harassed a female shoplifter. The Question of Silence is a reference to the idea that the marginalized don't have a voice in the face of a continued injustices. So defiant laughter is one way of sticking it to the man and disrupting the status quo. Like I said, I knew what would make my brother angry, and that was just mm-hmm. laughing. Yeah. Yeah, this movie sounds interesting. Um, I never heard of it, but I want to check it out now. Mm-hmm. And there have been cases of women being arrested and jailed for disrespecting the dead throughout history as well. And of course, there is and has been intersections with racism, homophobia, and ableism. In 1898, the black newspaper, The Washington Bee, wrote, it is against the law for a black person to laugh at a policeman in the street. The following year, a black woman named Louisa Roberts was fined $2 and, quote, patrolman Hutchinson arrested her for sassing some white women. Ralph Ellison wrote of a Southern mythology around the, quote, laughing barrel, a public barrel that black people were meant to put their head in when they felt a laugh coming on in his essay, An Extravagance of Laughter. He wrote of the power of laughter, quote, grotesque comedy out of the extremes to which whites would go to keep us in what they considered to be our place. Mm. These attitudes and discrimination continue to this day. In 2015, a group of 11 black women were ejected from a Napa Valley wine train for laughing too loudly, which led to the hashtag uh, laughing while black. I remember this because they were made of this huge scene just because they were enjoying their time to the point that even other women were like, what are they doing? They're at a bachelorette party. Nothing's wrong. Why are you Mm -hmm. kicking them off? Right. Yeah, it's a wine train <laughs> tour. Everybody's drinking and giggling. Like, that's not a yes. bad thing. That means they had a good time. I mean, why? Yes, right. At the same time, there's also a long history of using black laughter in minstrel shows to reassure white audiences that there was no resentment or danger from black folks. Right. You know, that's kind of that conversation of trying to make white people feel comfortable. So therefore, I make, right. uh, you know, deprivating comments about being Asian Mm -hmm. to make the white people in the Mm -hmm. room okay. And to the point that someone was like, oh, you're one of those Asians. Cool. That's exactly what he said to me. And I was like, what? And I think that was the moment I realized what I did. And I was like, oh, I I have given them permission to be outwardly racist Mm -hmm. to me. Crap. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's uh, also been a lot of conversation and judgment around the gay voice and relatedly the gay laugh that could be and probably will be its own episode, but that is also a piece of this. And then, yes, going back to the Joker, there's ableism going on as well in this conversation, as well as a very clear anxiety of people laughing at the 
wrong moment, um, which as we've discussed throughout this whole episode, there's so many reasons for why that might be. Right. Yeah. So all of this points to a history of censoring women's laughter and the laughter of marginalized groups. It also points to a history of people finding joy in the face of trauma and discrimination and oppression. Um, even thinking about feminism specifically, there's numerous examples of, you know, yes, women aren't funny, feminist buzzkill, can't you take a joke? Things like that. As, as with so many things we talk about, it's such a double-edged thing because if you laugh, then you might get punished for laughing at the wrong time or offending a man or hurting his ego. If you don't laugh at their jokes or what they find funny, then you're a buzzkill, you can't take a joke. Um, or you're cold and frigid or whatever it is. One thing we didn't get into that we'd love to hear from listeners about is cultural differences in laughing. There are a lot of articles around all of this out of India, and specifically Bollywood, um, which was really interesting, including this quote, Laughter strips the object of power and gives power to the one who laughs. When stand-up comics make fun of someone or something, their jokes are in effect criticism and mockery highlighting a social issue or a family reality. There's so much to unpack with all of this because, again, there is a line, like, there are jokes you can make and jokes you can't or <laughs> definitely shouldn't. But, yes, it is, like, a way to express defiance in the face of oppression for sure. And I think that's why it does, it does have this history of being punished when marginalized people do it at what people in power see as the, quote, wrong time. Right. Yeah, all of that into so much. As always, I was this is a fascinating one to research. Right. Yeah. And and listeners, we would love to hear from you. Um, any cultural differences you've noticed or gender differences you've noticed, anything at all like that. You can email us. Our email is Stephanie and MomStuff at iHeartMedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuff Podcast or on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 